Let's read from the scriptures and then we'll have a word of prayer. In the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, and we read in verse 12, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Let's just unite together in a wee word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank thee again this morning for Friday night. We thank thee for the tremendous congregation that was gathered in. We thank you, Lord, for the faithful preaching of the word of God, the offering of praise for all who took part. We thank you, Lord, for every aspect of the work, even the car parking, the catering, the lifting of the collection, the playing of the organ, the, the moving of the chairs. We know these things didn't happen by accident. And we thank you for grace given. And for help given. We thank you Lord for this tremendous offering of over 28,700 pounds for the work of God here. And we just want to say to God be the glory. Great things he have done. We're asking again Lord you'll accept our thanks for this offering on this Lord's day. And we pray that you'll use it for the furtherance of the work of the gospel in this corner of the vineyard. Lord as we meet this morning we're mindful of those who are absent from us. We think of Mrs. Lowe in the hospital. Remember her Lord. We pray you'll draw near, you'll comfort and strengthen her. We miss her. We missed her on Friday night. We know, Lord, she's been a faithful foundation member. And we know, Lord, that she would want to have been here if she could. Lord, just put your loving arms around about her and strengthen her. We thank you for bringing Bobby Graham out of hospital on Friday night to be here. Remember Bobby and Sadie today. Do you remember Mrs. Marsh as well in the nursing home? Remember my own mother-in-law? Remember others, Lord, who are struggling and coping with illness? You know all about them. Whether it's my brother-in-law Stanley or whether it's Sydney here. And you remember Garth as well. And Lord, we realize that there, there's, there's illness and sickness at work in many bodies. And Lord, we lift them to thee. And we pray again for the grace and help and mercy of God. And Lord, we call in thy name this morning as we gather together now in this meeting house that thou will be pleased to visit this place. We long for souls to be saved. We look to thee that you'll quickly fill up these new empty seats. We thank you for visitors back in amongst us this morning. And Lord, that rejoices and encourages our heart. And we look to thee that you'll bring many others in over the Sabbath to come. We look to thee that you'll visit our land and send us a revival of true Bible-believing religion. We thank you again for our Queen, Queen Elizabeth II. We thank you for her long reign over us. And we pray that you'll bless her today and bless the royal house and bring to their ears the great message of salvation. 
And may they know that Christ is the key to the scriptures. And may they know what it is to have a personal faith and a loving relationship with the God of heaven. Lord, we cry unto thee at this time that you'll have mercy upon us now, even as we wait before thee for thy word. Open our ears, lend us Samuel's ears, and speak today with the voice that wakes the dead, and save the lost, and glorify thyself. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Now my theme today in this new meeting house on this first Lord's Day is the vision and the value of a poured out life. Now let's remember the context of the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippian church from his prison cell in Rome. He's awaiting either freedom or execution. Due to his arrest and subsequent imprisonment, many of God's people have become discouraged. After all, the Apostle Paul was the leading pastor and preacher of his day. His liberty to publicly to preach the gospel had been curtailed. He was not outwinning souls for Jesus Christ as in past times. So God's people had every reason to be discouraged, to be downcast, to, to be in despair. However, as the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost to pen this letter to the church at Philippi, a church, remember, that he had founded under God, that was not how he presented himself to them. Listen to what he says in verse 12 of chapter 1. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. He added to this profound statement, giving his own personal motto for his life. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And what follows especially from chapter 1 verse 27 onwards is a call to live out the gospel in a fallen world. A call to publicly as well as personal holiness in the midst of a sinful hellish world. God's people are to live as lights in a lawless world. In chapter 2, one of the first things he deals with is the matter of disunity and discord and disharmony in the church. You'll see that in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. He reminds the whole church there of their responsibility to uh, put other born-again believers first. Literally, they're to esteem others better than the own selves. And remember how he set before them the example of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Just to drive home the point, what he's saying is that just as the Lord Jesus Christ as God in the flesh came into the world to live a life of self-sacrifice and self-denial on behalf of others, even to the point of the death of the cross, so every believer should strive with that example in mind to embrace, adopt, and possess the mind of Christ. 
Then in verse 12, he returns to the theme of living out the gospel. Remember, Philippians 2, 13, 12 and 13 has to do with the subject of the believer's holiness and sanctification. Once we're born again of the Holy Spirit, made a new creature in Christ Jesus, that new creature begins to manifest himself in a desire for holiness and righteousness. I want to stress again that there's a, a, a link between being born again and sanctification. If you're born again, uh, you, you will want to live a holy life. You, you can't have one without the other. Um, sanctification begins. Remember what it is? It's being set apart for a holy life. It begins at the moment of the new birth. Now the Apostle Paul then continues in verses 14 and 16. The, as the true believer works out their salvation, remember not works for, but works it out, works out what God has worked in by his grace in their heart and life, where does he or she live out the gospel? And we, we answered this last week. He, he, he lives out the gospel in a crooked and sinful world. And I want you to notice then what he adds in verses 17 and 18. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. You see, this is not a dreary or a depressing life. The Christian life is not a life of drudgery, a life of fear and bondage. No, it's a life of joy and blessing, a life of power and victory in the service of God. Now, now think of my theme for a moment. The vision and value of a poured out life. It's right this morning that we ask this question. What is my vision for Carrie Duff FPC? What do you as Christians want to see happen here within the confines of this meeting house? What is the, the vision of the eldership? What kind of church, literally, do you want this to be? Now, as we have opened the new meeting house, it's right that we give thanks to Almighty God for past and present blessings. And the first text that greets you coming in through the door is Psalm 100 and verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And I have to tell you this morning, I've got about 10 pages of notes on that text of scripture. And I thought that that's what I was going to preach on this morning to start with the theme of thankfulness. It's also right and proper that we have a, a vision of God, a vision of the person and work of Christ, a vision where we have a passion for souls, that we see men and women repent of their sin and savingly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And I ask myself, should we preach on the words where there's no vision, the people perish? And it's right and proper that we have a renewed vision. But then this text pressed itself upon my heart. And, and I asked myself, how can I be truly thankful? How can I have a renewed vision of spiritual things? How can I be at my best and labor to see souls saved and new families introduced to the life and witness of the church? Here's the answer. By being gripped with the vision and understanding the value of a life poured out unto God. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is dealing with in these two verses of Scripture. I want you to think this morning of four little things. 
Having a poured out life means a life of full surrender to the Lord. Look at this word offered. In the margin of the Bible, you'll see the words poured forth. Yea, and if I be poured forth upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. This is an allusion or a reference to the drink offering of Numbers 15, verse 9, that accompanies the the burnt offering. It's the idea and concept of pouring out a drink offering that was also a voluntary, joyous surrender in a spirit of love and thankfulness to God. Now, Now think of the Christian life for a moment. What's involved in the Christian life? Well, first of all, there's an initial coming to Jesus Christ. Bowing the knee to Christ, saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I need to be saved from my sin. Lord, I've got a soul that needs to be saved. Lord, I repent. Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, save me. Isn't that what Peter prayed? Lord, save me. I perish. And I want to ask this morning, are you born again of the Holy Spirit? Do do you know that you've been saved by the grace of God from the penalty and power of your sin? Are you savingly joined to Jesus Christ? Are you in a right relationship with him? Have you embraced him as the key to the scriptures? Are, Are you in union with him? Remember, it's important that you're in Christ. The Apostle Paul used that phrase 90 times in his letters. There's one thing to be in the church. It's a good place to be. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But many people are in church without being in Christ. And it's not the same. But once you're in Christ, you want to live for Christ. And you live for Christ through the grace and strength of Christ. And you live with a view that one day you'll go to be with Christ. And what I'm saying this morning is this. Once you're born again... And brought into Christ, you discover that the Christian life also involves not only the initial coming to Christ, but also involves a life of full and total surrender to the Lord. This is 2018. And this year we'll celebrate the centenary of the end of the war in the month of November. Lord Kissinger, at the end of World War I, was meeting German generals, and they said to him, these are the terms which we will discuss peace. Lord Kissinger's reply was interesting. This is what he said. I have not come to discuss terms of peace. I demand a total and absolute surrender. And that's what Jesus Christ demands of you and me. And that was the demand that was made upon the Apostle Paul. And he did not view that call as a drudgery. He wasn't dragged to that call kicking and screaming. He viewed it as the most joyous thing. He viewed it as a a wonderful blessing. To be able to make a a full surrender to the Lord. You think of these words. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me Jesus 
Take me now. And I remember that hymn because that was one of the hymns that was sung at Rosie and I's wedding. All to Jesus, I surrender. And part and parcel of the Christian life involves a full and total surrender to the Lord. There's a turning from sin to the Savior. There's a handing of yourself over to him, lock, stock, and barrel. The early disciples, when they got the call, we read in Luke 5 and 11, forsook all and followed him. I, I want to read just one verse. We could cite many verses from the Old Testament. I want you to think of a lady this morning called Ruth. And Ruth was a Moabiteess who got converted and became a, a Christian. And she married a man. Her mother-in-law was called Naomi. And her husband died. And Ruth's husband also died. And eventually after 10 years in Moab, they were going back to the land of Bethlehem, Judah. And this is what Ruth said. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And you see, that's the mindset of Full surrender. Ruth was willing to forsake her, her pagan gods, her pagan religion, forsake the land of Moab, even turn her back on family. And she was prepared to make a full and free and forever surrender, not only to Naomi, but primarily to the Lord. The subject of a surrendered life is ignored today. The Christian life involves a life of humble surrender and submission to the Lord. And there's a tendency today to sideline that. Oh, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I shall be saved. And that's right. But let's remember what that word believe means. It means to trust in Christ. It means to adhere to Christ. It means to, to rely wholly in Christ. It's not just a decision of a moment. It's the principle of a whole life. I want the press at home. Have you come to Christ? Have you bowed the knee? Have you made a full surrender the whole of your life, desiring to live for the cause and service of Christ? No ifs, no buts. A poured out life, having a, a renewed vision, is a life of full surrender to the Lord. Secondly, it's a life of faithful sacrifice to the Lord. If you think of Paul living out the Christian life, how did he function? This is what he said. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Think of the word sacrifice here. See, the Christian life is not only a life of full surrender, but it's a life of faithful sacrifice to the Lord. Verse 17, the first part of the verse, Paul's thinking about the sacrifice of himself. Yea, if I be offered. Remember what I've said, the word offered means poured out or poured forth. It's a reference to the drink offering in the Old Testament. A burnt offering was made, and after the burnt offering was consumed, 
Then a wine offering, a drink offering, was poured out in the altar after the burnt or the sin offering had been consumed. The Apostle Paul was conscious of that drink offering. It was a voluntary, joyous surrender to the Lord. You think of the animal on the altar. The beast has been consumed. And then the priest takes this drink offering and he pours It's really wine that's poured on the ashes of the sacrifice. It results in steam uh, uh, rising up uh, and the smell going up from the altar. And it's really a picture of offering, of going up to the Lord as a sweet-smelling savor that, that brings pleasure even to the Lord. And that's Paul's way of summing up his life. That's the vision that he had in his heart and mind. He sees his life as an offering poured out or poured forth. Of course, it's a reference to his death at the hands of the Romans. But I believe he's also alluding to the fact of living a life of self-sacrifice and self-denial for the Lord. You think of Paul's sacrifice this morning, how he turned his back on his religion for a relationship with God. Uh, And we want to present, not religion this morning, but a relationship with the Lord. Think of Paul's submission uh, and and think of his sufferings and and think of his sacrifice. Uh, And it's all bound up here in this life of faithfulness to the Lord. Not only think of Paul's sacrifice, but think of the Philippians' sacrifice. He says, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Paul wants them to know something. That that life of sacrifice and self-denial is also part and parcel of the Christian life. Remember what the Lord Jesus said. And if I can read from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 14. And in the verse 26, the Lord Jesus said something very interesting. This is what he said. Luke chapter 14 and in the verse 26. If any man come to me, And he hath not his father and mother, and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He went on to give a couple of illustrations of a man building a tower, would he not first down and count the cost? Of a king waging war with an enemy, would he not also sit down and think, well, if I get enough troops and ammunition to win the battle? Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in summary of verse 33 of the same chapter, Luke 14, 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And this reference to sacrifice, of course, is not a sacrifice for sin. It's a voluntary sacrifice. The Lord Jesus offered that once and for all sacrifice on the cross for sin. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, the Lord Jesus completed and finished the the work of securing eternal redemption by the shedding of his blood. Remember, he cried out on the cross, boys and girls, it is finished. So so this reference to sacrifice is not to do with salvation. It's not a sacrifice for sin. This is a voluntary sacrifice. This is having a mindset. I'm going to live a life not only of full surrender to the Lord, but I'm going to live a life of faithful sacrifice for Jesus Christ. What does that mean? 
Let, let me just emphasize a couple of little things this morning. You'll not live for yourself. You'll live for the Savior. You'll renounce all trust in yourself and your wisdom and your power and your ability. See, by nature, we're all full of pride. By nature, we think we have the strength to do it on our own. Remember what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. The child of God who's born of the Spirit, who's living a life of full surrender and sacrifice to the Lord, he'll not trust in himself, in his own wisdom, in his own power and ability, in his own strength. He'll be well aware or she'll be well aware of the spirit of pride that that can destroy us. Remember, pride cometh before a fall. Remember what Paul says here, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And the true child of God will not trust in himself. The true child of God will not trust in herself. They will renounce all confidence in self. They'll not live a self-centered life. They they will not live a life that's just full of self-centered things. Their will be sacrificed to his will. It'll be, Lord, what what thou have me to do with my life. Remember the Bible teaches us that our ways are not God's ways. The Bible teaches us that as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord Jesus came into the world and said, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. And there's the Lord Jesus, the perfect son, who's in perfect submission to the will of the Father, who offered a once and for all perfect sacrifice for sin. And yet he's setting an example for us. The child of God doesn't live out the Christian life as he desires or he pleases. He realizes I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I belong to another. I've been bought by the precious blood of Christ. I belong to him. And like the psalmist then we pray, lead me, Lord. Teach me. Guide me. Help me. You see, it's a life of dependency and trust in the Lord. If if we're living a life of faithful sacrifice, we'll not live for self. We'll live for the Savior. Also, we'll not live for time. We'll live for eternity. The late Dr. Paisley one time was visiting the United States of America. He visited on many occasions. He was with one of our ministers, and the minister had an address book and got Dr. Paisley to fill it in. And you know the section where it says name? It's D-R-I-K Paisley. And when it comes to the address, I wonder what he was going to write. Now, he had an address here in Northern Ireland. He lived in Cypress Avenue. But you know what he put? This is what he put. In the heavenlies. Yes, he had an address here in the earth. But he was sending out a message and it was this. He lived with eternity before him. Eternity in view. And the apostle Paul lived on earth. But in his mind, he lived in the heavenlies. His mind was on the things of God. Not on the things of time and sense. But but in the things to do with eternity. How many believers this morning live with their mind in the things of time and sense. They lose out spiritually with God. The quiet time's a chore. They don't daily read the scriptures. Their prayer life is non-existent. 
When they hear the sermon, it's something that's boring and irrelevant and not really up to date and doesn't really scratch where they're itching. They leave off coming to church on a Sunday night, think it's unnecessary. We'll just drop that wee bit off. We'll come on Sunday morning. And then eventually on Sunday morning, they stop coming altogether. And, and what's going on? Yes, there's a loss of spiritual appetite. Yes, there's a backsliding. But what is happening in their life? They're, they're, they're filled with a sense of time and sense. And they've lost the vision of eternity. Their mind is no longer on heavenly things. And what's the solution? The Christian life is not about us. It's about Christ. Remember the Lord Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. And how can I best live to extend God's kingdom on earth? It's recognizing that this church is not about me. This is not my church, even though I'm the minister of it. That this church doesn't belong to you in that sense. This is God's house. And our mindset has to be on the extension of God's work. So it's not about me or my lifestyle. It's about God's work and God's kingdom. Remember the prayer, thy kingdom come, the kingdom of grace now, and the kingdom of glory. So therefore our time and our talents and our tithe, our money, our lives, our strength, our gifts, they're all placed at his disposal. And no matter what we face, persecution, hardship, heartaches, difficulty, trials and tears, we still have this mindset. We don't let it be robbed of this, that we live for eternity. Live in the heavenlies. Also very quickly, we'll not live haughtily, but humbly. For others. Paul says if I be offered. Remember poured out as a drink offering. The wine poured out on top of the burnt sacrifice. The drink offering was really the crowning of the sacrificial offering. It merely accompanied the larger offering. Paul was thinking about the drink offering as a small thing that really complemented or completed the larger offering. Remember what he's saying. Yea, if I be offered upon what? The sacrifice and service of your faith. You see, I believe that Paul thought more of others than he did of himself. His mind was full of Christ's humiliation. Paul learned to humble himself before the Lord. He thought more of fellow believers and their sacrifice for the Lord than his. He wasn't thinking, you know, I'm living a better Christian life than them Philippians. He wasn't saying, I'm greater than they are. I've suffered more than they have. I give more. And you see, sometimes that mindset can creep in, even into the life of the church, even into the life of an individual Christian. And you can be full of pride and you can be full of, 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 of self-congratulation. And you can look down a wee bit on others. Well, they're not doing what I'm doing. They're not living as I am. I'm better. But that was not the Apostle Paul's mindset. He saw his life of sacrifice as a drink offering that was to be offered upon the sacrifice and service of these Philippian believers and their faith in God. He realized his life of sacrifice was nothing in comparison of course, to the once and for all sacrifice of Christ. And I've said before, C.T. Studd said, 
If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And of course, the sacrifice of Christ brings our little sacrifice and makes it peel into insignificance. And if we could let that get a hold of us, and we could get a hold of that itself, and we think of it in comparison, our sacrifice, our giving, our tears, our labor, and think of it in comparison to Christ, the one who gave himself for us, gave his life for us, we would never ever bargain with God. I want you to think, thirdly, of a life of fruitful service for the Lord. Think of the word service of your faith. Look at the text. The word service is not the main task of the church. We have a job of work to do. What is the task of this church? It's to see God glorified in the salvation of precious souls as we preach the gospel. That's why we exist. It's to see the good commission or the great commission being fulfilled before our eyes. Go you into all the world and make disciples. To make disciples is an intentional purpose. It means we're, we're, we're driven with, with, a, with a task and a view to hand. And that task and that view is something that's been assigned to us. And we need to pour out our lives in desiring and seeking and striving to make disciples in the Lord's name. And that will involve evangelism, involve outreach, gospel missions. That will involve children's work, working with the teenagers, door-to-door evangelism, inviting family and neighbors and friends and co-workers in to the house of God to hear the word of God. There's a life of faithful service for the Lord. And lastly, there's a life of filial sweetness to the Lord. Did you know in these three verses, there's five references to joy? Paul says that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, verse 16. Verse 17, and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy. And then he says, I joy. And then he says, rejoice with me. You see, here's the impact of a life of surrender. Here's an impact of a life of sacrifice. Here's the impact of a life of service. It's a delight. It's not a drudgery. The source of his joy was the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace. Remember, he's facing death. He's experiencing hardship and pain and difficulty. Maybe you're experiencing that this morning. And yet you can have the joy of the Lord as your strength. Think of the strength of joy. He didn't allow his circumstances to rob him of this joy. He realized that in union with Christ, that joy cannot be severed. And the supply of that joy, when he said, I joy and rejoice with you all, that that was the joy of the Lord. It was a life of filial sweetness to the Lord. I asked this morning, in this very first service, as we think about what sort of church do we want, when we think of our need, what I'm suggesting this morning is this, that we fill ourselves with this vision, that I need to pour out my life before the Lord. I need to make a full surrender to him. I need to be willing to live a life of sacrifice. I need to engage in a life of faithful service. If I'm to know this sweetness and joy, we're here this morning, we're very happy about the new meeting house. Friday night's meeting has come and gone. We're delighted with the crowd, thrilled with the offering. 
And, and yet this morning as we embark forward in this journey for the life and witness and testimony of the church, we put down a marker. And the marker is this, that we make a life where we hand ourselves over, poured out to the Lord.